0: john chapter 10 we're going to pick up at verse 7 so it'll be up here on the screen there are also bibles in the pew in front of you Um, but we're going to just get into it because we have um, some depths to dive into today so this is from the gospel of john this is chapter 10 verses 7 through 21 is what the word of the lord says So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, He is a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for the wonder of your revelation to us in your word and ultimately through Jesus Christ. And I pray today that by the power of the Spirit, you would help me to be helpful to my brothers and sisters today, that the word of the Lord would minister to our hearts. And for those that have been far from you, that you have been seeking, Lord, that are here today by your grace. Would you draw them in to your security, to your peace, to your hope, and your love? Would you speak to us today? Would we delight in you? We love you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he means that he is not one of the bad shepherds. I know. I know. It's brilliant. And you are now witnessing the savvy of, of my mental powers. Um, but, but let me say it again. When Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he is saying that he is not one of the bad shepherds. And this actually has more import, uh, it has more to it than it seems, right? It sounds like a simple statement. But here's the deal. When Jesus says that he is a good shepherd, he's not simply using some relatable countryside image, He's actually drawing from the deep wells of Scripture. And he's fulfilling something wonderful. And the fact that he says it and the fact that it's true is the best of all possible news for us. But it's terribly offensive to the leaders of Israel that he's speaking to at the time. So let's do this. Rewind the clock with me. Go about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Go back to the time of exile. This is the time of the Babylonian captivity when God's people are carted off to Babylon. So let's go back to this time, to the time of a man named Ezekiel, to the time of a very um, dramatic prophet who was commissioned by God to speak to the leaders. He's commissioned to speak to uh, the calloused and self centered leaders of the people of Israel. And the leaders at that time were twisted and they were corrupt. So listen to these severe and piercing words that God commissions Ezekiel to say to his leaders. This is Ezekiel 34. Pick up at verse 7 and go on through 10 here. Here's what God says through Ezekiel. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but... The shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Okay. Okay. Intense passage. You never want to hear that he is against you. Now, the term shepherd was a common term right throughout the history of Israel to refer to the leaders, which included the kings, which included um, the priests and various political leaders. And here in Ezekiel 34, we have a portrait of the anti-shepherd, right? It's a portrait of the bad shepherd. And what do the bad shepherds do? Well, they don't protect the sheep. They prey on the sheep. They don't pray for the sheep. They pray on the sheep. Very different, right? The bad shepherds don't seek and save. They're passive and they're negligent. The bad shepherds, they don't feed the sheep. They feed on the sheep. They use, they abuse, and they exploit and consume the sheep for their own shadow missions to build their own selfish kingdoms. So this is the backdrop, right? This is that black velvet, black cloth to the shining diamond of Jesus saying that he is the great shepherd. There's a contrast here. See, Jesus isn't like the leaders that had come before. Jesus isn't like the leaders that are there. Standing before them is a supernatural, completely differentiated kind of leader that is there to embody the kingdom of heaven. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. So recall that we're in a series, a sub series in, in the Gospel of John. We're in the series right now that's looking at the seven I am statements. And John, the author, curates these seven I am statements to show us how Jesus is revealed as the Son of God. Okay, so these seven I am statements re- reveal that he's the Son of God. And, and the reality is, who he is forms who we are. This is a key principle that we need to understand that John is trying to put forward through these seven I am statements. Who he is reveals who we are. Who the master is shapes his apprentices, right? Who the shepherd is marks and shapes the sheep of his fold. Our identity is always found in relationship to Jesus. Our identity is always found in relationship to Jesus. So who he is forms who we are. So who is he? Who is he? Well, he's a good shepherd, but what in the world? does that mean well we're going to look through a number of things here that describe that define a good shepherd so the good shepherd gives and gives the good shepherd knows and loves the good shepherd seeks and saves he sacrifices and conquers he's powerful he's humble he's faithful and obedient and he is the father's son So this is what we're going to walk through as we go through chapter 10 here. We're going to see that the good shepherd gives and gives. He knows and loves. He seeks. He saves. He sacrifices. He conquers. He is powerful, humble, faithful, obedient. And he is the Father's Son. And those affect us in the most incredible ways. Let's do this. Let's think through these now, through the text. Let's think through, walk through the text kind of verse by verse here. So let's, let's start here at verse 10. It says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he goes on to talk about the, the hireling there. Now, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's referring to, at this point, to the bad shepherds of Israel, right, that have hurt his people, and therefore, by referring to them, he's ultimately going to be referring to Satan, right? The father of lies, the one who seeks to tear down and tear apart God's image bearers and the creation that that God has made, right? Satan and sin work to dis integrate, right? To tear apart what God has put together for total human flourishing. Sin and Satan seek to disintegrate things. But God, on the other hand, seeks to unite. He seeks to unite that which is meant to be together, to bring about fruitfulness, to bring about flourishing. And so Jesus says he comes to bring about what kind of life? Abundant life, right? Abundant life. Now, this word, abundant, um, perisos, is a Greek word that means um, excess. It's to have excess of something, right? Um, a profuse amount, extraordinary an amount, or, or this is a simple way to think about, about it, it more than necessary. To have this abundance is, is to have more than what is necessary. In other words, this is life to the full. This is life without lack. It's life overflowing. It's like those rivers of living water that Jesus says will flow through you. It's not just like a gutter, or a little pond, that there's something there to survive. It's, no, it's, it's flowing. It's, it's more than surviving. It's about thriving, right? Life without lack. This is what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Help me out. I shall not want, right? I shall not have lack. Now, we get this twisted in our consumeristic an individualistic and self-expressive hedonistic culture, right? We get this all kinds of backwards. And so we get these weird perversions of of the gospel. You know, the the gospel is focused primarily on these material things of health and wealth that has no place for suffering to shape us into the image of, of Christ, right? So life without lack that he's speaking of here, this abundant life, is not the accumulation of food and cash and power and stuff and sex. That's not what he's talking about. Life without lack is a life that is full of the presence of God. It's full of intimate union with God. It's it's a life that is attuned to and attentive to who God is. See, a life without lack, isn't a life of flawless internet connection, right? With all of our streaming services and being able to buy that, that savvy new electric car that we want and having the big dream home and the perennial, like, perfect vacations, right? That's, that's not what it's about. But it's interesting, this word that he uses for life um, is the word zoe, zoe. So there's two key words for life, one is bios and one is zoe bios is biological life zoe is spiritual life jesus comes and says i am coming to give you overflowing abundant excessive spiritual life life without lack comes to us through love right Through the sacrificial giving of himself to us right So Jesus' care for us is, is not some job or career path that he's taken. It's not just some means to an end. It has everything to do with who he is and his radical love for us. And so he gives. He gives. Love gives. He gives and he gives and he gives. He's the very fountain of grace and mercy and hope and joy and peace. And all that is good comes through him from the Father, right? He just gives and gives and gives. So the good shepherd gives and gives. He also knows and loves. Look at verse 14 through 16. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And then he qualifies that. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they're going to listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is, this is fascinating. Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep. Just as he knows the Father and the Father knows him. So he knows us as he knows the Father and the Father knows him. Now the word knows doesn't just mean like knows about and has some information of, right? This is, this is an interpersonal term. This is intimate experiential knowledge. But the Father and the Son have ever been in this relationship of mutual delight. They know each other perfectly perfectly through and through and love each other perfectly. And he says he knows his sheep and loves his sheep like he and the Father know and love each other. You are loved with the same love that has ever been and ever will be. The love between the Father and the Son is the same force of radiant, bright love that loves you, that loves me. That is an incredible truth to try to process with our our brains, right? Now, bad shepherds, they don't know you. Like, you're, you're a means to an end to a bad shepherd, to a bad leader. They don't care about your hopes and your hurts, your haunts and the aches and your wants. But the good shepherd knows you, right? He knows the spots that you're broken. He knows the beauty of your design. He knows the deep recesses of your heart. And so, if you're his, you don't, you don't need to hide what's in your head or your heart. You don't need to hide your your past. You don't need to hide your wounds. You can be free. You don't have to play the game. You don't have to, to wear the mask of, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Everything's great, you know. You don't have to be this plastic person with this plastic smile because he knows you. So you can be free. You can be released from shame, released from guilt because you are known and perfectly loved. The good shepherd knows us and he loves us. And because he knows us, because he loves us, he knows we need to be sought and we need to be saved. So the good shepherd seeks and saves. And he seeks and saves us. Here in our verse, he talks about sheep that are um, in another fold, so to speak, that he needs to go after. What's, what's this about? Well, Jesus came first to the Jewish people, right? He was a Jew. He came first to the Jewish people, but that wasn't the end of his mission. It wasn't the end saving Israel, right? It was to be um, going out in concentric circles from, from Israel to the rest of the world. And so now the God who was on mission to save the Jewish people there as he came, as Jesus Christ, is now still on mission, right, By the power of his Spirit through his church, going out to the ends of the earth that everybody might come to know this Jesus. So Jesus is a seeking and saving savior messiah right he's proactive right he's he's reaching he's working he's coming after us he's chasing us down he's diligent like, he's not negligent he's active he's not passive he is the god man on mission to bring humanity into flourishing he's not just sitting back on i hope they get their act together right i hope they eventually come to me like he is actively chasing you and some of you are here today because he is drawing you. Because he is actively chasing after you. He's not sitting back. He's not negligent. He cares, right? He's not apathetic. Well, he also sacrifices and he conquers in order to seek and to save, right? Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So the self-giving, sacrificial love of the Son pleases the Father. Just, Just to make sure we don't get this bit messed up, the Fathers always loved the Son, even before we were ever created, even before there was a need for us to be saved. But the character, the quality of the Son that says, I will li- willingly lay down my life to save those who will pin me to a cross, that kind of radiant love pleases the Father and just continues this, this spiral of, of mutual delight between the Father and between the Son. So Jesus comes to give his life as a ransom, right? To, to die for many. Not just to be a good moral example, right? Not just to give us some Principles, but to actually do something that changes the very grain of reality, right? That changes the, the entirety of the world. He comes to die in our place, right? To sacrifice in order to conquer. He says, I will lay my life down. I have the authority to lay my life down, and then I'm going to pick it back up again, right? And so Jesus wins by losing, so to speak. That might sound weird to our ears, but he goes down in order to rise, right? The way up is down. This is the pattern of the kingdom. Humble yourself and the Lord will lift you up. Die to yourself and you will gain new life. This is the master's pattern. This is what we're called to enter into, right? To die to self, and that's where we find life. Give your life away to find it. The way up is down. So the good shepherd conquers through sacrifice. Now, in contrast to that are the bad shepherds, right? Who are grasping, who are grabbing, who are clamoring, trying to get what they think is theirs. And as they try to grab after life, this this selfish principle that has us grabbing and, and clamoring is what actually kills us right so we lose our life by trying to trying to hold on to it the sickness of selfishness strangles itself out it's a self-defeater so just give your life away and as you pour yourself out you will be filled up with eternal life this also shows us by the way that he's humble and powerful the good shepherd is humble and powerful He is uniquely fit to accomplish this mission, right? He is God in the flesh. He lays his life down. And this is so beautiful. Um, He lays his life down. He's not simply murdered. I think this is important for us to tease out. He's not simply murdered. Nobody had to coerce Jesus to save us, and he's like, oh, well, I guess they're doing this to me, so let's make something good of it and I'll save humanity through it. It's not, it's not how it works. It's not like, it's not like this. It's not like, oh, poor Jesus. They did that to him. It's more like this look at the incomparable power of the king of creation who laid his life down and became vulnerable to seek and save the lost those who put him on the cross look at the power that gives itself away to empower others to live eternally yeah like that's a savior worth following not like oh man that was oh Yes, it should affect us emotionally of what has been done to Jesus. But he was the one who said, now's my time. Remember, they kept coming after him, right, over and over and over. And it says it was not his time. He was in charge. He said, now's the time. Now I will lay my life down. They didn't rip it from him. He willingly gave his life. And God is an awe-inspiring power and beautiful humility, both ever operating at full strength. Again, contrast with the shepherds, right? The bad shepherds, they want to be powerful, right? They want to be powerful in ways that they're not. And so what do they do? In their arrogance and their pride, they are coercive and abusive, right? They want other people to feel vulnerable, and they want to feel invincible. It's, it's the, the polar, polar opposite, and so they try to take that which isn't theirs. They don't give power away, they hold on to it. So the good shepherd is truly powerful, and yet he gives that power away, right? So true, powerful, true power, you can think, is, is found in giving, giving it away. Those who are really powerful, so to speak, aren't those who hold it and clinch it. They disperse it. They, they give it away. Like the sun emits light by its very nature. Light by its very nature. The sun emits warmth by its very nature. True power by its very nature is um, outward going. It, it, it's abounding. It's increasing. And so God gives it away. It doesn't make him any less, more, any less powerful. But he gives his love and he gives his power away. Next, we see that he's faithful and he's obedient, right? This good shepherd is faithful and obedient. Look at verse 18 with me. No one takes it from me, right? But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That is not a throwaway sentence. That is a powerful truth at the very heart of reality, right? The Son of God came to this world on mission, to seek and to save, right, through giving himself away. And he was faithful to do it. He was faithful even through the resistance, right? He was faithful even through the incredible pain. He was faithful through uh, the, the violent shame that that came his way. And when light came into the world, dark resisted it. Evil writhed and kicked against the goodness as the kingdom was was coming. And so we shouldn't be surprised when when evil resists us, right? When we get kicked in the shins by what's dark, by what's wrong, by what's unjust, by what's, what's wicked. We shouldn't be surprised when we are attacked. We are in a spiritual battle. And we shouldn't be surprised by relentless resistance. And Jesus was faithful, right? He was faithful through the temptation. He was faithful through the resistance. Why? Because he was acting out of obedience, born of love for his father, the father had commissioned the son, and the son said, absolutely. And in love of the father, he was obedient. It wasn't a cold obedience like, oh, you said it, I better do it. It was born out of love, right? So he's obedient. And so this has me thinking, and I, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks back, but there's something that we should clear up. Like there's this weird, unhealthy misconception in a lot of Western Christianity, and it goes something like this. Like, Jesus had to come to save us from this really grumpy God. Just has, like, this sour face up in heaven. Like, he's just, like, all concerned about, like, making sure everyone's doing everything right. And he's not just, not this loving, warm God who's like a grandpa. He, he's just more of like this tyrannical ruler with a sour face. And so Jesus has to come, right, and intervene and go, whoa, 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 don't, don't hurt him. Like I'm the good, happy one. And thank you, Jesus, for saving us from this mean God. That is not how it works. For God so, help me, love the world that he sent his only son. Why was Christ sent? Because of the love of the Father. Jesus reveals the love and the justice of the Father. He does not work against or in antithesis to the Father. So we have to, and I, I get it, there's this, there's this thing called um, um, God um, development theory, uh, the, like uh, how we understand God um, and it's primarily, we understand God primarily of a composite of the, the key caretakers in our life. So our mother, our father, other other leaders. And so we can then project that onto God, right? And so so often we project onto God the, the ugly things, the 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 meanness that happened to us as as a child, the unfairness, the ugly stuff, and we think he's, he's out to get us. And Jesus says, that is not the case, right? He's for you. Always has been, always will be, he's for you, he is for you your flourishing all right now with with that um to really understand why what why jesus saying that he's the good shepherd ticks these religious religious leaders off to really understand it we need to understand that he's making a radical claim here right jesus is making this radical claim so he's making a divine claim again right he's not just saying like i'm one of those nice shepherds out there you know caring for the fuzzy sheep that's not it He's saying, I am God in the flesh. And in order to tease this out, let's let's go back to Ezekiel 34, right? Ezekiel 34, we're going to pick up at verse 11. In Ezekiel 34, verse 11 through 16, he's going to um, explain what the Lord will do based upon the failure of the leadership. Okay? So here's what he says. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I am. I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and I will gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. Sounds like God's going to do something, right? Verse 14. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, I hope you notice the overwhelming first person quality, right, of that text. It doesn't just say I, it does say that a lot, but then he says I, I myself, and in Hebrew this is like a double emphasis. He's saying, listen, me, I, God, God will do this, right? So, hearing that, who does Ezekiel say the good shepherd is? God. God is the good shepherd. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I am. I am the good shepherd. So this incredible statement is a glowing, blinking neon sign pointing right to Jesus, and Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. So when he says, I am the good shepherd, the leaders are indicted right away, and they know that this is a radical claim, and this is why they say, he's got a demon! He's got a demon! Which is really bizarre, because he just healed a blind man, and he's a good man, and he's showing himself as righteous, but they say, demon! Right? They have to demonize him, right? They have to demonize him because he is showing their darkness and they can't deal with their darkness, which, by the way, this happens all the time. Open up your newsfeed. Remember the last two years. Remember the polarization and remember the demonization that's, that's been going on. We demonize another when our own darkness is revealed and we can't deal with it. So there's like this internal like, psychic pressure to deal with it And so we have to put that darkness on the other person and demonize them because we can't own up to what's within us. And so much of the polarization of the last few years is because we're not humbling ourselves, going, Yeah, me too. Like I've gotten this wrong. Yeah, me too, I don't have all the answers. Yeah, me too, I need Jesus. Yeah, me too, I'm a sinner. But instead, we take all those energies of our own darkness that we can't deal with and we put it on someone else and demonize them and dehumanize them as though they're not an image bearer of God. And this is what they do to him he's a demon, or he's possessed by a demon. In Jesus, God the Good Shepherd came to seek and to save the lost. Who's the lost ones? All of us, right? All of us, not just them out there who are not going to church. (laughs) The only reason we're here is because he saved us. His life and his death, his resurrection, becomes the food that has nourished us. This This is incredible. The book of Revelation talks about the throne of God, right? And there's a lion at the very center of the throne. And what does that lion look like? A lamb that was slain. The shepherd became the lamb that was slain. The lamb, the shepherd became the lamb that became our food to nourish us. Hebrews 13, 20 calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. What does that mean? It means he has become our great shepherd. And because he's our great shepherd, he shed his blood to save us, right? To die in our place, to lay down his life and to pick it up. Now, all this truth about who he is, it shapes who we are, right? It shapes... Who we are. So to know him as our shepherd, it shapes us as his sheep in a very particular ways. So let's talk about our formation here for a moment. Right, who this good shepherd is shapes who we are as his sheep. So the good shepherd, let's look at this list here again. He gives and gives, right? He gives and gives. As apprentices of this good shepherd, we are to be a people who give and give and give our life away. To be a people of joyful generosity because the Spirit who gives, lives within us. He not only gives and gives, he knows and he loves. So as his people, we are to be those who know and love. We are to know him and to love him by abiding with him and obeying him and living with him. This with God life. But we are to live life with each other. This is life together. We are to, how do we know one another? How can we truly love one another? We spend time with each other. We invest. We are part of a community together. We live life together. He seeks and saves. Well, so should we. Like, we're not the Savior, but we seek out others. We're not passive, while others are, are, are headlong running into destruction, right? We live missionally. We live evangelically. We go and we tell the good news. We open up our lives, and we open up our mouths, and we tell people about the beauty of who God is. We live on mission. Sacrifice and conquer. We are more than conquerors. Why? Because Christ has laid down his life for us. Now we lay down our life for others, right? We serve others, and by serving others, we overcome the evil of the selfishness that is in us. We love well by laying our life down, and we are conquerors because of what Christ is doing in and through us. Powerful and humble. The Good Shepherd is powerful and humble, A follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus is is strangely powerful. You are strangely powerful in this world because you humbly acknowledge who the true king is and where the power comes from. You boast and you brag in Christ and not in what you do and as you are led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, there is great power that is witnessed. But it's this weird reverse upside down, humble power that's beautiful and magnetic, not coercive or abusive. You use your power well, compassionate gentleness. Faithful and obedient. The Good Shepherd is faithful and obedient, and so should we be, right? And the the only way that we are able to be faithful and to be obedient isn't just because we're really awesome, (laughs) because we're really amazing and you try really hard. It's Because we enter into the practices of grace and we fall on our face and we trust that the Lord will pick us up and we trust that He is empowering us to grow in His likeness and to become more and more like Him, the faithful one who is perfectly obedient to the Father. And He is the Father's Son. The Good Shepherd is the Father's Son. And because He is the Father's Son and fully man and fully God and died for us and reconciled us to the Father, you know who we are now? We're the Father's sons and daughters. You are the son or the daughter of the king of the universe, of our heavenly father. And that comes with all sorts of good things. So as Christians, we are all, we're all trying to put to death this like inner anti-shepherd, right? This inner bad shepherd. How's that, go, how's that coming for you? Like, are any of these like specifically highlighting some areas where you're like, I'm a lot more like the bad shepherd than the good shepherd? because I wrote that list and I looked at that and then I asked this question and I was like, ugh. Like, yeah, I need, I need to be a lot more like Jesus in every one of these areas. And so, how? How do we grow um, and look more like the Good Shepherd? Well, let me, let me bring this to a close by ending in this way. Um, I imagine there's been another passage of the Bible that's been rolling around in your head. It's a psalm. What psalm has been maybe rolling around in your head as we've talked about this today? Yeah, Psalm 23, right? It's just it's there, right? Psalm 23. This is a psalm that Ezekiel, by the Spirit of the Lord, is drawing on in the message. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk, To the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this weekend, um, I was doing a lot of traveling this week, and I got to see some really good friends. Some friends that many of you know. So I was down in LA, and I got to spend a couple days with Kent and Valerie Laws. Anyone know Kent and Valerie? Um, part of this community for years. Love them, miss them, and I, I got to spend some time with them while I was doing some things down there. And um, so one morning, we're, we're getting ready for breakfast, and I start processing with them, like, guys, I got this sermon coming up, I've been traveling, like, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I just need to verbally process the Good Shepherd sermon with you so I don't, like, inflict damage on the church, you know? Um, <clears throat> so we start talking about the Good Shepherd, verbally processing with them, um, and Valerie goes, Psalm 23, she's like, it's, it's so well known. And it's so often taken for granted. And then she says, but the older I get, the more beautiful it is to me and the more necessary it is and I need it. And I was like, yes. She's so right. It's not just, you know, this quaint psalm that we embroider on a pillow and put on a wall, right? Do you know what it is? you know what Psalm 23 is? It is a double identity statement. It is a double identity identity statement. The Lord is our shepherd. I'm his sheep, right? Who he is shapes who we are. The most important factor of of our identity is who God is and our relationship with him. He is the great caregiver. I am his beloved. He is the one who gave everything for us. Therefore, we lack nothing. He is the provider we are the provided for. He lays us down. Therefore, we are the rested ones. He is our guide to the good life. We are the guided ones. He is the righteous one. We are those who are walking on the path of righteousness with him as our lead. He is our protector. We are the protected ones. He is the seeker and the saver. We are the lost that are now found. He is the banquet bringer and the feast giver, which means I and the well-fed and the blessed ones sitting at the feast. He's a good and merciful one, and I am the benefactor of his goodness and mercy. He is the God who abides with us, and we are his people who abide with him. And so as I close, I want to share with you um, this powerful practice that's been renovating my soul and dismantling the lies and the false narratives that I've lived by for 40 plus years. Every morning, take a few moments, meditate on Psalm 23, and remember it is a double identity statement. Reflect on the shepherd's goodness and then live from it. Don't just memorize it, meditate on it, metabolize it, right? Chew on it, think on it, and pray through it. The Lord is my shepherd. Because you're my shepherd, I will not lack what I need. I will have that Zoe, that spiritual life that you give. The Lord is my shepherd, you're my provider. You are my rest giver and work through it and pray that thing through and delight in who he is every day and give more attention and time to Psalm 23 than the news feed when you first wake up. And before you feast on that oatmeal or that amazing breakfast like I had with Kent and Valerie, before you feast on that food, feast on Psalm 23 and know that who he is forms who you are and delight in the good shepherd. So tomorrow, wake up, open up the scriptures and delight in that double identity statement.